The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live. My name is Zafar Iqbal. Uh, you're listening to Friday Night Live on Inspire FM 105.1 FM. And it's the 4th of January 2019. Yes, 2019. Another year gone. You may be looking forward to celebrating a new year, but think about the year that's gone. If you didn't achieve the objectives for the last year, you've lost, my friend. You've lost it. The year's gone. And you're one step closer to the inevitable, inshallah. If that's depressing, well, I've got something to cheer you up, inshallah. A good lineup of, of topics to discuss, inshallah, today. So stay with me. Stay tuned. You are listening to Friday Night Live on Inspire FM. And of course, you're listening to, uh, to Friday Night Live on our sister radio stations up and down the country as well. So you've got Link FM in Sheffield, and you've got Salam Radio uh, in uh, Peterborough as well, inshallah. And you're, you're probably listening to it nationally and internationally through our website uh, and Facebook and all the other devices that we have, inshallah, to keep you informed and entertained. You are listening to Inspire FM. And what we've got lined up for you today, inshallah. So we're going to talk about Earth Grow. Yes, Earth Grow. You know what that is? You will do, inshallah, soon. Okay, and we're going to talk about the humble LED light, uh, which appears to be making a big dent in the UK energy demand. That's according to the uh, report in the BBC. We'll give you an update on, we'll give you some views, I guess, on the Bangladesh elections, the update, the elections have already happened, uh, and there is a winner, a clear winner, and uh, people who are in the know know who the winner is, uh, and we'll give you some views from some experts and people who got connect, who've got connections uh, yeah, with Bangladesh, inshallah, a bit later on today. And finally, apparently, according to the MCB, uh, a huge, a large number of Muslims have been honoured in the annual honours list. We'll talk about what that means uh, and, and what difference it makes to the people who've got them. So we've got uh, a few people, or we've got a person who's actually received an award. Uh, we'll talk to him and see if, uh, if the world has changed for him because he's been recognised, inshallah. Okay? Uh, we're going to start off today uh, with our first topic, and the first topic is... Earthgrowl, right. So for those who don't know who that is, um, Earthgrowl is actually a pretty big character uh, in Turkey. And he has uh, uh, historically apparently played a big part in the founding of the Turkish state. Uh, and it's a, a dramatization of his life or his struggles effectively uh, in uh, in a series, basically, which which is available on the Turkish television channel called TRT One, uh, and also on Netflix. So part of the series is available on Netflix, uh, and the rest of it is available with subtitles. I'm afraid it's all in Turkish, uh, available uh, on the website uh, as well. Now it's it's got a, a, a it's become quite popular with the Muslim community. Locally and the non-Muslim community, I should say as well, as far afield as Australia, people are commenting on it. Now, the series, uh, if you've watched it, 
you know it it's uh, fairly good quality programming the the plots are well thought through uh, surprisingly enough, right? Uh, you know, uh, not put, casting any aspirations, uh, aspirations uh, at all on uh, on Turkish television. But uh, if the Pakistani dramas and Indian dramas are anything to do by, the plots appear to be sort of quite thin. But in this case, they've been done very well. Uh, and what the storyline effectively is, it's following a, a group of people, a tribe called the Kei tribe, uh, who are people of Turkmen origin. Uh, who originate from the steppes of Central Asia, so people like uh, places like Turkmenistan and whatever, who have escaped the Mongols and headed west to create a homeland for themselves. Uh, and they're beset basically with intrigues internally within the tribe, uh, with other sort of um, Turkish, Turkmen tribes, um, as well as enemies externally uh, with the likes of the the crusaders and the um and and the mongols uh, as well as as well as dodgy characters in the state the seljuk state um so the drama is set in the 12th century so uh, the likes of the templars and the crusaders obviously they were on the scene at that time uh and it's made it makes some pretty exciting television uh i would say uh having seen some and and, and followed some so we're going to talk about it. We are hoping to get somebody from TRT T1 ourselves to talk about the series and, and what's happening uh, next uh, on it. But unfortunately, we've not been able to get hold of anybody to talk to us um, because of the holiday period, etc. Uh, but well, we can talk to somebody that is, whose voice you're familiar with and who is an avid follower of Utgul. So... Uh, Tarek, assalamu alaikum. salam. Hi, Raza, are you okay? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So you, you're a bit of a follower then? I wasn't initially, to be honest. Uh, it wasn't uh, until uh, when it was uh, Eid al-Adha, is about maybe uh, three, four months ago now, uh, when I was actually introduced to it. Uh, to be honest, I'm not one for following uh, I mean, long series. Uh, I'm more of a, a short a short series kind of thing, films or maybe I mean half an hour dramas kind of thing. Uh, I've never been into uh, long serials, so I didn't really want to start something because I was thinking, uh, I'm the kind of person I like to know the ending after I watch something. I want to know where it finishes, and this basically just doesn't finish. <laughs> just and, doesn't finish uh, so I, I was a bit uh, a bit skeptical when initially I started, to be honest. But uh, I'm sure, as you may have found, uh, it's a bit addictive uh, when you initially start. You can't wait to watch the next one. Uh, and in the last three months, uh, when I initially started, I'm um, now uh, just today, in fact, just before I came, I was watching episode five of season five. Well. Oh, you got to the end then. So, oh, yeah, there's only seven episodes, as far as I'm aware, released so far uh, of season five. So I think they're releasing one every week. Uh, right. So uh, after a couple of episodes, I'm going to have to wait a, wait a week to watch the next one. So ba- basically, uh, it's um, it's been basically distributed in terms of seasons. So you've got season one, season two, and we're yep. up to season five now. Season one and two is available on Netflix with with subtitles. Uh, and you got you got basically short bursts of twenty five minute dramas, whereas season three they're about 40, 40 to, 40 oh, 40, to forty five 40, minutes. Oh, yeah, 40, 45 minutes. Uh, and and uh, season three onwards is available on the website, and they're two hour. Yeah, they're uh, they're two uh, hours, uh, around and, about two hours. I think, so you've got I think you've got about seventy plus episodes in season one, one hundred and three in season two. Yeah, uh, and then you've got uh, two hour times thirty. 30 yeah, in season and four, and three, four and five. Four, four, five. And, and, Sorry, uh, three and four. Three and four. Yep. And then, and then we don't know where five is going to lead to. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, but to be honest, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, it was a, a bit of a, it's one of those ones which I, I was, you know, like I said, I wasn't really sure about it. But to be honest, one of the things which kind of uh, inspired me towards watching it was purely the fact that uh, that is it's based. Uh, I mean, most of it is based based on uh, is uh, it's on true facts. Uh, although when I was actually, well, I think true. I think it's quote unquote true, isn't it? Yeah, because when I was actually, because when somebody said to me, "Yeah, this is all a true story," and I was like, "Okay," uh, and then I was thinking, a lot of the scenes seem to be very very accurate where there's, there's that one little moment and they're just maybe going through a forest and if they if they just missed that guy by 10 seconds they would have missed him and you I mean they would have fallen into the plot or something and you think maybe that's just a bit dramatized there and then uh, if you actually look at the the, the starting of every uh, episode it says it was inspired right. by the history not necessarily based on true facts and when I was actually uh, I was actually reading up uh, when you I don't want to uh, I don't want to put any spoiler alerts out there but when you actually get to the end of season four you'll actually realize that there's a a clear uh i mean uh, uh not so accurate uh, uh you mean sh- showing of uh, of of the yeah, of the because, because the reality hits doesn't it exactly and there was actually a lot of negative feedback regarding uh, to, towards the director in fact regarding why he changed uh, the the actual true picture which was which was entirely different uh, and again there were, there were the reasons for that uh, but i think uh because it's inspired by uh, i mean the history uh, and again uh, when you look at uh, the, the way, I think to be honest, for me, it was more the way it's portrayed, and uh, and there's 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 uh, to be honest, it, it makes you feel a lot very spiritual. Uh, there's a lot of dawah behind it, and uh, and alhamdulillah, I, I think personally, uh, it's, well, think, it's really think, well delivered. Initially, I think uh, when I was introduced to it, probably about six months, uh, probably longer, uh, by my my daughter. And when I looked at the number of episodes, I said, "There's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that." Uh, but once I did, uh, I have found it, you know, truly inspirational, uh, and not being able to sort of, you know, get off it effectively. Uh, and I'm, I'm following through. I'm on season four at the moment. But you're quite right. I think the, the it's not just a drama; it's educational as well. Definitely. And you, you're getting the the dialogue has quotes from the uh, the Quran. Uh, it has hadith, basically. It has quotes from books, history books, uh, Turkish history books, obviously, yeah. right, uh, etc. Uh, and I think the general view, uh, the, the gen- general sort of impression you get is, is that this is not about the gory details of war and, and killings. And although the sword fighting is pretty dramatic, <laughs> I must I have to say, would you agree? D- definitely. To be honest, I was actually going to say it's a, it's a very family friendly program. But then again, you do have to have that little bit of uh, of a disclaimer there that there's, of course, a lot of fighting uh, and a lot of killing in it. So I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a disclaimer for the young ones. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's, it's very uh, family friendly in the sense that there's no there's no obscene scenes of any sort. Uh, and again, in regards to the Dawa aspect itself, what to be was really uh, kind of mind-blowing for myself is every aspect of life when someone may pass away for example or there's some sort of loss it's that 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 true yakin that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always be there and I think that to be honest comes out quite clearly uh, in, in Earthrall's uh, character and again when uh, Ibn uh, Arabi uh, comes in I think it's uh, I think to so be honest think there's, there's people, a lot of for, for the people who don't know the main character is, is obviously Ertugul and he's the leader of, of, of his clan, uh, but along with him is, is a spiritual guide, yep. uh, somebody called Ibn Arabi. Although I think historically they might be in, in different locations, different places, they may not, okay. but they've actually brought him together. Uh, but you're quite right, I think, in terms of his general outlook, 
uh, he's is basically he's on he's trying to claim to be on the hook, and it doesn't matter right if he gets killed or his family gets killed or whatever. As long as he's on the hook, he's doing the right thing, right? Um, then you know he's got trust in Allah, and and you know many a times he's been killed and saved effectively. <laughs> But, uh, this is where the, the actual name itself, uh, I don't know, I think when you actually look at it, it says Derilius Ertrol or something, uh, the resurrection of Ertrol, because he actually does kind of resurrect a couple of times, couple of times uh, yeah. after he's been killed. But I, I think, to be honest, even when you go into season five, you'll kind of, I mean, there's, there's, there's one certain plot where his son's actually uh, being uh, being put up saying that you know, he's, he's murdered somebody. And his his whole outlook on it is, if it's him, then I will bring you know, I mean, uh, him myself to you for the punishment. And I think this is where it's quite critical and I think this is what to be honest for myself and it's, it's interesting you when you when you introduced the, the topic itself you said obviously not, not only Muslims it's actually a lot of non-Muslims actually watch this That's right, and yeah. what I would be really really intrigued in knowing is if there is you know, a way of measuring this is if there's anybody out there who's actually uh, become a Muslim not knowing any Muslims purely from watching that series it's, itself because to be honest I think personally from a Muslim perspective it gives a really good uh, picture of what a true Muslim should be like, and again, there's, there's also, of course, shady characters like you mentioned, which aren't so, well, yeah, uh, so yeah, Muslim. I, I, but again, I, I, you, ha- you have them in the the the, the Templars, the the Mongols, uh, and also, of course, in the in the Muslim uh, uh, trade. Sadatin Kobeks. <laughs> yeah, the, there's another <laughs> the, one in the season pl- five. The, plot, the plotters. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but again, with, with Ertrul, I think the the overall arching message of justice and and his his main rule is that I would always be uh, the one to stand up for the oppressed. Uh, and I mean, justice must prevail at all ends. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, to be honest, based on that, uh, and again, I, I think, to be honest, it could have been a situation where you could have seen his character and they could have played a character of somebody who was uh, trying to be the true Muslim but doing un-Islamic kind of things. Mm. But I haven't seen anything like that in his character at all. I think this is where it's really kind of pleasing to say, well, you, they've actually... But, but you know, you, you, you've got scenes where they actually, you, you know... The objective is to inform people about Islam. So you got they they they, they basically do a scene on uh, on Juma prayers. They do a scene right, where where you know the the main character regularly does salah. Yeah, sit does salah right, and and he's doing dua uh, uh, effectively. And they have done scenes right where there is a marriage, a yeah. marriage ceremony from an Islamic perspective. They they've, they've done a scene where there's a burial from an Islamic perspective. So they're giving dawa, I, I guess, directly and indirectly in different ways. But I think, you know, there are people, I guess, critics of, of, of series like this, yeah, uh, who would argue that, you know, this is propaganda, right? You know, this you're trying to sort of give a, 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 a positively Muslim view of the world. Uh, but having said that, uh, it is balanced. You know, it tries to sort of, you know, balance the arguments. You've got people who are from the non-Muslim background as well in the... Well, not, they're not all villains. Yeah, yeah of course, exactly. Yeah, this, this is where, to be honest, I think uh, where uh, it's, 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 it just goes to show that obviously in regards to having bad people, you mean there's a, there's a bad apple uh, in, in most baskets. Uh, and unfortunately, you can see that. Again, I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, and Quebec, and yeah. there's, there's many other uh, shady characters in it. And again, within the, uh, within, from, uh, from, the, from the Christian side, uh, you'll actually, even in, in season five, there's actually quite a few, uh, you mean, uh, uh, highly regarded 
uh, the Dem Pride, I think himself, has never come into the scene as yet. But there's quite hi- highly regarded uh, uh, people uh, within the Christian faith who are actually all about Supporting honesty and well, justice, yeah. and and uh, they they are in favour of peace, and they are in favour. And there's there's many examples you can see, uh, even in season uh, season three and four, where he kind of establishes uh, a, a trade and uh, and uh, I mean a, a kind of bazaar there. And in that, you see many Christians who are actually living under uh, the supposed rule and, and, of and Ertel. he appoints some of them right to senior positions, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think overall, to be honest, personally, again, uh, I'd love to know what the listeners' opinions, especially if there's non-Muslims listening out there, I'd love to know what their thoughts are uh, on the actual series itself. If there are any negatives, I personally haven't seen any. The only one thing, to be honest, which uh, I think they have kind of, I think sometimes overdone it, uh, is is perhaps the the so-called love stories where. Uh, I mean, there's uh, obviously the initial whole uh, uh, scene itself starts from uh, the love story of Earthrule and the whole beginning of uh, Halima Sultan, uh, and then again it just, it just goes from there. And then every single one of them has, has some sort of uh, somebody who they fall in love with. So I think that's a bit uh, a bit too much for me at times, a bit sobby at times. But <laughs> but I think to be honest, well, they end up getting married, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> alhamdulillah. So I, I think for, for listeners, uh, we're talking about the Earth of Ghoul series basically on TRT One. Uh, it's not available on on the main uh, main ch- channels that you see the terrestrial channels and t- uh, cable channels at the moment. Uh, if you got TRT One, you can view this in Turkish. Uh, but Netflix has a as season one and two, which has been which has got basically subtitles, uh, and the rest of it is available on a website. And if you're interested and you want to follow it. We can probably give you the, the website details, although I'm not sure how how legal or illegal that is. But this is where most people are watching it on, on the website. Uh, so that that's the series that we're talking about. We're talking about Ertugol. I think it's, it's called Drillis Ertugol. Yep, right? Resurrection uh, Ertugol. Right. And if you if you want to Google it, uh, you, you'll see lots of lots of people commenting on it and lots of people sort of. Uh, and there, there was actually a, a blog somebody circulated as well. So some uh, chap in Australia, non-Muslim chap in Australia, who. Uh, who made some comments about it. And there's some interesting scenes in there which is pointed out, like, for example, where uh, they sit around the table and everyone's everyone's carrying their spoons in their pockets, effectively, yeah. And they pull out, in, in the, you know, in a coat pockets, and they sit around and they pull out their spoons, basically, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a humorous bit right, in it as well. Okay, alhamdulillah. But to be honest, I think personally, uh, my again, my own opinion, and again, if the listeners out there, uh, of course, Inspire Film is not endorsing this uh, this uh, series, of course, in any way. But again, it's just it's just reflections, to be honest, uh, on a TV program, which I personally uh, was, like I said, a, a, a bit dubious at the start. Uh, but again, I think I've really kind of taken uh, on board with it. Uh, I've actually had uh, a few days off uh, off work at the moment, and Earth was kind of uh, kept me going. I'm uh, I'm kind of thinking now. I I was actually wasn't too sure that she was season episode five. Today. I'm thinking I only got another two left. Then I have to wait uh, another week for that. It's just literally that kind of I mean addictive where you any kind of spare time I'm thinking oh let's put Earth on uh, watch a bit of uh, Earth But I think it's uh, it's I think personally there's many lessons in it. As you said, yeah. there's actually particular scenes which have got nothing to do with actually what's going on, and you'll literally see a scene where. Uh, Ibn Arabi will come in and I mean, Earthrule will be somewhere else in the world but he'll just find him somewhere in a field, field somewhere and they'll sit together and he'll read the eye of the Quran and he'll yeah, say right, this is what Allah SWT is telling you about and they're regularly referring to the Quran and various different hadiths about sabr and about various different aspects of the life of the Prophet uh, and I, I think it's very very educational alhamdulillah yeah absolutely and I think there are, there are situations right, where the main character finds himself in trouble right and then basically he 
you know, Ibn Arabi comes along and tells him the story from the life of the Prophet Sallallahu to relate so to, the to the relate to the situation that he's been, uh, you know, he finds himself in, and then the way out, effectively. Uh, and I think that it is, it is educational. And I think also, I guess it's uh, not; it's just dawah to to the Muslims, a reminder for the Muslims, I guess, in terms of, you know, um, you know how Islam is, has, has been effectively. But it's also, I guess, it's a it's a window. Uh, of op it's an opportunity for people who are, you know, who are not Muslims, effectively, to see what Muslims are, exactly and how they live, and and you know what they feel like, you know, in, in, internally. Uh, and I think it's quite a good one. So, in in some respects, I think the um, the characters and the religious beliefs and the religious sort of outlook, etc., in some respects, is kind of like current day thinking projected sort of to the 12th century, because you can see some of the. The, the themes that have been picked uh, in a, in a uh, subject line, uh, but I think you know it's it's uh, it's quite still quite relevant. Alhamdulillah. And I think I guess for me the connection is that this is guy who's who's after justice, and I think this is what he, he goes for: justice and freedom are the two things that he's trying to establish his tribe, his people, uh, you know, the, the land on. Uh, people's land on, uh, you know, his government uh, on, and he's basically getting all sorts of disruption from external and internal forces. Internal mostly, people who are devious, people who get bribed. I think bribery features heavily. Exactly, it? definitely. Uh, and I think too, there's a couple of comments uh, I want to quickly share before yeah. we go to the break. Uh, a message coming through on Facebook uh, saying, uh, Lincoln Brothers, uh, amazing series, uh, very addictive though, uh, but I'd rather watch <laughs> that than, than any other un-Islamic stuff that our aunties are hooked on to. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, this brother well, is referring to. Well, that's Pakistani dramas he's talking about. I don't I'm know sure. what he's referring to. Uh, and another message coming in saying, interesting topic, uh, is watching this series a good use of our time? Uh, do the Lessons being learned outweigh the time as a big time commitment. Uh, well, I, I, I think that there's a question mark on that one, to be honest. It is. It's a big time commitment. But to be honest, uh, going back to the first uh, point made, uh, if you are somebody who does, for whatever reason, have a lot of time on your hands, and you do watch a lot of TV, you uh, mean to relax or for whatever reason, uh, I'd rather the you mean that children were actually watching that than again other you mean series on TV and stuff. And again, to be honest, a lot of the stuff out there on TV these days, uh, uh, again, there's there's many. You mean people even spend time watching documentaries and all sorts. But again, referring back to the the aunties, uh, uh, you mean the different series that aunties probably watch on various different uh, or Pakistani and you mean Indian kind of dramas and stuff. And again, I, I would probably say uh, it's, it's it's a lot better than wasting time on th on things like that. And the other thing with again, if if you if a lot of aunties will probably say, well, it's in English, it's in Turkish, we don't understand that. And there's uh, there's there's, a, Urdu, there's, Urdu, there's a Urdu dubbed version as well. There's, there's, a, Urdu, version as well. there's oh, okay, a Urdu dubbed, dubbed version with English subtitles, uh, though it's. I, I try to watch one of the episodes uh, like that. Off -putting, it's it? very off-putting because I, I don't think they've synced the sound to the mo to the movement of their lips very well. Right. Uh, it's just it's just it looks odd. But again, the the original again uh, uh, I think sounds very good. It's interesting because I went to a a Juma recently in in our local Turkish masjid, and it's surprisingly I could understand a lot of the words you say. Well, saying. there is that's the other aspect, right? Is that some of the the commonality between Turkish and perhaps Urdu and Punjabi? Yeah, right? so you know, a so, lot of so, adults so and intercom and. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of a lot of uh, similarities, mashallah. Uh, also, uh, you know, from a, from a listener's perspective, to be honest, what I think I would be really interested in knowing is if they especially if there's a non-Muslim non-Muslim listener out there who has watched the series. I, I did actually uh, I actually had uh, a gentleman coming in from uh, a TV company actually installed my internet, uh, and I was speaking to him and he was saying I actually got internet installed in my flat purely because I wanted to watch Earth. I didn't need it before. 
before that. And I was I was having a conversation with him, and he goes, "Oh, you've been here, you've been here a couple of years. You haven't just moved here, have you ever now?" And he goes, "How come you're getting internet installed now? You didn't have it before." And I started talking to him. I said, "Well, this is the reason. It's Earth Road. It's costing me this much. I, I had to get internet now. My phone allowance isn't enough." Uh, and he goes, yeah, "Oh, I watch that as well." And I go, oh, "Do you?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I really like it." Uh, me, uh, me, me and my partner watch it all the time. And I was like, I didn't go any further into the conversation uh, as to how he found it and stuff. And to be honest, I regret. I, I didn't seen it much of myself at the time either. So I think now, if I was to able to have that conversation with a non-Muslim, it'd be really interesting to know their thoughts on uh, the series itself and also their perceptions on Muslims. Again, a lot of the kind of perceptions that non-Muslims have of, of Islam itself is, is from the media. Now, this is actually a, a form of media which is actually giving, I mean, in, in certain aspects of the, the character of Earthrule anyway, a very, very uh, you mean accurate, strong, I accurate uh, you mean, uh, picture of a Muslim and the way Islam should be. Mm. Again, in our daily life, majority of I mean, Muslims and non-Muslims alike probably don't see that character. But again, this is what Islam t- teaches us. It should, we should be on the hook. We should always be about uh, uh, about justice uh, and and regardless of uh, who that is against. Uh, and again, I think that that character shows that uh, shows that shows that really well. Uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It's, uh, I think it's uh, from my perspective, at least anyway, I've enjoyed it. Um, again, like you're saying, it's, it's not inspire film. It's not making a recommendation. It's up to people to sort of try and judge for themselves. It's an interesting series. A lot of people talk about it, and that's the reason that we've actually picked up on it uh, to talk about on our radio station, the fact that you know it is a phenomena, uh, and a lot of people relate to it. And a lot of youngsters relate to it. A lot of young people mm, relate to indeed. it. Because, and they're now asking questions about the period it was set and history and you know who are these people and what you know what what you know, what was happening during that period and you exactly know, so. it's actually inspired me to actually read more about it i was thinking you mean what what mean what time period was this when did this actually happen and, and who were the mongols <laughs> exactly and i actually for Genghis khan all that the history of it all and stuff i actually was reading up on it and what's more interesting is the majority of the history is actually about Earthrose's son usman and the ottoman empire i don't know if the series will go on to actually that go that there was, far there was, there was an, another one actually right? i think it's called usman the list or Smart, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, we've, we've got 10 seconds, inshallah. Right, okay, we were talking about uh, the Earth Rule series, uh, which is available on our website. Uh, inshallah, after the break, we're going to talk about the humble LED light. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live with me, Zafar Kabbal, and with me in the studio for a brief period is Brother Tariq from the uh, Rise and Shine show, inshallah. You might recognize his voice. Uh, if you're listening to Inspire FM on a regular basis, you know him. And if you're tuned in from Salam Radio uh, and uh, Radio Sheffield Radio, Radio Link FM, Link FM. Uh, welcome to you as well, inshallah, and you recognize his, uh, Tariq's voice as well, because I think your your program goes out there as well too. Yep, it? goes out to Salam Radio and to Link Alhamdulillah. So right. I'm sure the listeners will be used to the voice. You're a bit of a bit of a hero then. <laughs> so before <laughs> the quite. before the break, we were talking about Ertugul series, a television drama series, uh, which dramatizes the events leading up to the creation of of the Turkish state or the Turk homeland for the Turkmen people, effectively. Uh, and we talked about how the series is trying to basically hit uh, a number of different objectives. Uh, one of them being really uh, not just having, you know, entertainment, being entertainment, but also 
try to be educational in a sense that is trying to shed some light on the 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 character of of uh, a true Muslim effectively. Uh, in some respects, I think uh, you know uh, uh, it was agreed, I guess, between ourselves that is you know that is being achieved in some ways. Uh, but I, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit more, uh, Tariq, and perhaps you want to comment on this. Uh, is that the this drama and other dramas like this are becoming uh, more of a scene uh, in Turkey? Uh, partly because I guess uh, I guess with this new Erdogan government, uh, they're trying to give the Turks a new sense of identity or an old sense of identity. Effectively, this is what the Turk people used to be. They went on a westernization path, effectively, to become Europeans. And now the Europeans have rejected them outright. Uh, they've been trying to sort of get into the EU since 1979. And I think smaller countries have made it, and Turkey hasn't. Um, so they're beginning to sort of think again and think, well, actually, we're not, maybe we're not European. Maybe we are who we are. Uh, and I think this this does a very good job, right, in, in trying to tell them who they are and tells them the story of the people who come from the steppes of Central Asia who've settled in these lands uh, because they were f- basically f- escaping persecution from the Mongols and they made their homeland in this particular land that, that Turkey sits. So I think from that point of view, uh, it is doing a very good job. It's a way, you know, from, from, a, from a government perspective. It is, yes, indeed. Uh, from To be honest, I'm not uh, too well acquainted with uh, the politics uh, of Turkey. Uh, but again, I have read quite a few blogs referring to things like that, which is again saying that uh, it's reminding uh, the Turks about their origins and what they were, uh, which again, a lot of people on the blog, some again themselves Turks actually write in the blog saying that we have forgotten our roots and Earth was actually reminding us about who we were. Uh, and again, it's very important to do this. I'm not sure uh, how much of an input the actual t- the government itself has had into the series well, uh, well to, to be honest I, I can't imagine this is going to be a private venture this has got to be something coming from the government isn't it the government is trying the cultural department of government now you see you see we don't we don't overtly see it in UK uh, but a lot of the programming in UK and America uh, you know the government's message or the line that people should take comes via funding so the governments give funding and say well if you take a particular line on a particular issue then we will give you funding, right? And we've seen even, you know, uh, things like, um, you know, very common dramas that you'll see in the UK television picking up on themes and you think, hang on, that sounds a bit odd. You know, things mm, like, yeah. like radicalization and all the stuff like that in, in popular dramas and you think, but that's actually, if you look behind the details, you'll see funding. Uh, yeah, of course. And, so and every funding. And, 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 and similarly, you know, the themes that you see in Pakistani dramas, if you look at the credits at the end, a lot of those dramas are funded by foreign agencies. Yep. And the foreign agencies have got a vested interest in pushing a, a particular line. And I guess this is in keeping with that as well. Is, is you know, government has got a particular line and they want to push that through to, through the people. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, like you said, now, now it makes complete sense. I think that recently, uh, well, quite a few times, uh, we've actually been approached here locally uh, uh, with various different requests, uh, saying that obviously there's a there's a marriage program going on, or we want to do this for Channel Four or this particular channel. Uh, can you, I mean, can you guys get us some guests regarding? You mean speaking about something, uh, and I mean it's been funded uh, by by this particular organisation, so they've got a particular uh, a agenda line, yeah. as such, which you mean what they want to try to achieve out of that program. And I guess there's no difference, uh, but. I 
think I just want to quickly make a quick point. I know you want to, we want to move on to the next topic of discussion, but a quick point I think, which is uh, was something very key, which I have taken out, and again I think you touched upon in the first half, is regarding the 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 kind of message that I think Earthsoul gives, especially to the youth of today. I think sometimes uh, a lot of speech speech is about identity and about the I mean uh, about the lost identity for a Muslim, and I think this uh, Earthsoul actually gives you back that identity to say, well, this is who we should be as Muslims, and again. Uh, when you're on the huck, when you're on, uh, when you're doing, uh, you mean as far as you're concerned, uh, on the on the on the straight path, then uh, nothing should matter, regardless of who uh, who or what it is. Uh, there shouldn't be any obstacles. And and when oh, you obviously, you I mean come across obstacles in life, refer back to the Quran and Sunnah. And again, every time, again, that's a key message for us to to stay close to uh, the Quran, stay close to uh, the life of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I think these are these are the kind of things which will guide uh, us as parents and again our youth uh, t- through all the different problems that we're facing today. Brilliant. All right. Jazakallah had uh, about the Tariq for uh, talking to us today on a slightly different topic than, than you know, normally do. Uh, but we were talking about article. We want to move on to a slightly new new topic now. Uh, and we're going to talk about the humble LED light. Uh, a report out, um, uh, a report published, I guess, or the, 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 the conclusions of the report published on the BBC News, uh, news website uh, has highlighted the fact that the uh, LED uh, lighting appears to have contributed significantly to the amount of energy that's produced, um, that's generated. And I think some of these, the reason I want to talk about these, some of these figures are quite, uh, quite significant. And I, I think kind of, um, kind of motivated me, I guess, uh, to rethink about uh, energy efficiency and, and uh, how, I guess, um, renewables and, and energy efficiency are important to the, to the carbon sort of uh, footprint. Now we've got a, a an expert guest uh, who's who represents an organisation who's done the research, I guess, uh, on this. And this particular report on the BBC website uh, has taken or, or made some references to it. So I just wanted to sort of uh, quote some some facts, I guess, from this report, and I think uh, just to set the scene. Um, and this is what caught my eye, uh, basically. So the report basically says that uh, uh, the fossil energy uh, equivalent of a 95 terawatt hour uh, uh, is basically what's been uh, produced uh, since 2005. So eff- effectively, what, what this, this article is saying is that the energy generation in the UK right, basically peaked in 2005. Uh, and ever since then, the amount of energy that we, the consumers, use on a daily basis uh, has been declining. And we're at a stage now that the energy generation is uh, now what it was in 1984. And that is a really significant stat for me. Um, and the other stat I was going to read out to really was the fact that the, the balance between renewable energy and energy efficiency, i.e. Uh, energy that's created from likes of um, the solar panels, etc., et and wind power, um, is now, you know, is less than the the energy that's saved from energy efficiency, uh, um, you know, devices etc. that have been used. So I am going to introduce myself uh, to introduce you to Dr. Simon Evans, who represents an organisation called uh, Carbon Brief, uh, who done this research. Um, hi, Dr. Simon. Welcome to Inspire FM and to Friday Night Live. Hi there. Thanks for having me. 
Right, okay, so it's, it's a really interesting article. Uh, perhaps you can do a better job at, at describing the conclusions of that, that report than I did. Uh, why is energy efficiency more important than using renewables? Which is what I'm, I'm seeing as, as a conclusion from this, uh, this paper. So, so what we did is that we looked at the amount of electricity that was generated in the UK last year yeah. and where that electricity came from. Yeah. And what we found was that uh, a record 33% of that electricity came from renewables, so right. things like wind and, wind and solar. Yeah. And combined with uh, nuclear power, which is also low carbon, um, that was a record 53% from, from low carbon sources. Well, wow. And that meant... And that, and that meant that um, fossil fuels, so gas and coal, provided the lowest ever share that they've, that they've contributed to the generation of electricity in the UK, which was 46%. Right, so that, that's, um, that's another stat, I guess. So the, the stats yeah, I, but, I was referring to uh, was really that, that UK power generation, or the, the amount of energy that's generated now uh, is at the same level as it was in 1994. And you would have... And that, that sounds yeah. to me like a massive saving, I guess, in terms of power generation. Yeah, so that was the other really significant thing that we found was that um, it, used to, it, it used to be kind of the economic orthodoxy was that when the economy is growing and the population is rising, hmm. um, that means you need more and more electricity. Right. Uh, but, and that, that held true for, for decades, you know, through most of the 20th century, mm-hmm. barring periods of, of deep recession. Sure. Uh, and then what's happened more recently is, is kind of going against that economic orthodoxy, whereby in 2005, electricity generation in the UK peaked. Right. And since then, it's, it's fallen really quite significantly, uh, as you say, back to the levels that we saw in 1994. Right. So, so, so drilling down in that stat, uh, that stat yeah. a little bit more. So this is per person, uh, is it? Or is it just total generation? That's that the, to- the total generation. Right. And if you look at the, the generation per person, yeah. there's been an even more significant decline. So t- since 2005, right. generation per person has fallen by basically a quarter. Right. Okay. And and if if generation per person had stayed at the levels that we saw in 2005, mm-hmm. then last year we would have needed an extra 100 terawatt hours, which is, is, is quite hard for people to grasp. But basically, people will have heard of the, the new nuclear plant that's being built at Hinkley Point in yep. Somerset. Yep. And in order to, to supply that extra 24% that we didn't need, we would have needed an extra four Hinkley four Point nuclear plants. Yeah, so it's it's an awful lot. It is, and so the fact that we've avoided the need to build those nuclear plants or some alternative source of electricity is a really significant part of the UK's progress towards cutting emissions. Yeah, that that is that that is a massive massive stat, I guess, isn't it? A massive reduction in in. So so I guess the 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 the, in, the intelligent person on the street would say, well, if it's generation per person. Has the population contributed? Has the population declined, so therefore it's less, or is it purely because of savings? No, on the contrary, the, the population's gone up right. um, since 2005. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's about 10%, I think. Right. Or that might be since 94. But anyway, the population's not certainly not, not decreasing. 
Mm-hmm. And really what, what we're looking at is a, is a, a long list of contributing factors that have mm-hmm. caused that decline in per capita generation. Right. Um, so you already mentioned things like LED light bulbs. Yeah. I think pe- most people are aware of those. Most people probably already have those yeah. in their house. Mm-hmm. And they, they might know that although they're, they're slightly more expensive to buy up front, yeah. over their lifetime, because they can save up to 80 or 90% of the electricity you would need for an old-style light bulb. Indeed, uh, indeed. You know, yeah, so they're much cheaper to run over their lifetime, even if they're... they're yeah, I think the average LED is around about 5 watts, whereas the, the traditional sort of light bulb would have you know, had anything between 50 and 60 and up to 90 watts, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could even... You used to even get 150-watt bulbs. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really huge saving. But I think there's a lot of other factors that, that people might be less aware of. So another one that that very much applies to people in their own homes is is things like fridges, washing yeah. machines, dishwashers. And basically because of EU product standards, mm-hmm. when you go and buy a new fridge, yeah. like my fridge broke down last year and I had to replace it. Yeah. And when you buy a new one, each different fridge is, has to have a, a an energy label. Yeah. And what that, you know, that will be something like an A plus or an A plus plus. Mm. Or down at the lower end, you go down to like a, a B or a C. Mm. Um, and if you're replacing um, a really old fridge that you've had, say, for like 10 years, yeah. and it might be B or C rated with, with a newer one that maybe is an A plus or an A plus plus, that could easily use half the electricity of the older model. So how, how does that work? I mean, the LED is a new technology. Uh, the right. way the light is produced is different. But I, I guess from a fridge's perspective, it's still using the old pumps, isn't it? And how does that how does that save energy? To be completely honest, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the, right, okay. the, the technical side of it, how they've achieved that. But uh, you know, for something like a fridge, I mean, it would be things like better insulation. All right. Uh, so you need less less electricity to keep it warm, uh, cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just general kind of advances in technology. Uh, and what's quite interesting about that is that you know, people aren't aware probably when they're replacing their fridge that they're that they're getting this energy efficiency saving, right. and that applies not just in people's homes, but that applies in you know supermarket fridges, supermarket lighting, yes, in people's yeah. offices across the whole economy, and and that's one of the reasons why we've seen such a big reduction in per capita. Yeah, and, and it's not some more, it's not some more reduction either. So I think the the paper says it's. 103 terawatt hour reduction right. exactly and that that was the the equivalent of four hinkley points that i mentioned four, four power stations basically 103 terawatt. yeah uh, that is that is a, a quite a significant saving so uh, are we have we reached uh uh i guess a low point in uh, energy efficiency or is there more to go do you reckon then so what we're going to see going, you know, going ahead, looking to the future, uh, there's going to be continued improvements in energy efficiency. Uh-huh. And a lot of that will come simply because people's old fridges will break and they'll buy a new fridge. And yeah. even if they don't prioritise energy efficiency, mm-hmm. the chances are, the likelihood is that it will be a more efficient model just because newer models are getting more efficient all the time. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of natural turnover of people's domestic appliances, lighting and so on, that will naturally tend to improve the energy efficiency of people's homes. Right. So, so we're actually we're, we're likely to see further reduction, I guess, in energy demand or electricity demand because of energy so, efficiency over the years, coming years. This is this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Over the next 
few years, that's likely to you know that's likely to continue to keep yeah. electricity demand going down. Yeah. But looking further ahead, say another you know five, ten, fifteen years. Mm-hmm. We're going to start to see some some other trends that will push in an opposite direction. In the opposite direction. So, right. So, well, you know, people are, I think, starting to become aware of electric vehicles. You know, yes. there's there's a whole load of new models coming on the market. Mm. You know, the the range that, that electric cars can drive now is is improving. The prices are coming down. Yeah. And as those start to become more widely adopted, mm. um, they obviously need electricity to run. So that's going to push up demand a little bit and depending how quickly electric vehicles roll out um you know that means that in you know in that 5 10 15 year pit, uh time scale electricity demand will will start to increase again probably right okay so so the the i guess the other the other um the the um the point that this particular paper makes is is that there is a uh, a competition i'm not sure that's that's the right word to use the competition between uh, between the use of renewable energy uh, sources and, and efficiency, uh, is there mm-hmm. a competition between the two or in terms of investment? I guess uh, you know what, what do you invest in? That that's perhaps maybe that where there is a, a difference of opinion. It, uh, would you say there, there is the case or um, or not? So, so I would say that I mean I certainly in in the analysis that we did in the report that we wrote ourselves, a yeah. carbon brief. We certainly didn't imply or, or say anything to the fact that there was competition between the two. We just set out the fact that energy efficiency had made a similar contribution to renewables in terms of um, helping the UK cut its carbon emissions. Yeah. And I think I think what happened is you know talking to journalists at the BBC when they when 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 they were writing their story, and mm. um, the fact that energy efficiency being you know much less talked about. Yeah. You know, often when we're talking about electricity and carbon emissions, people think of renewables. Mm-hmm. And so the journalist, when I was when I was talking to him, was was really intrigued, and his interest was piqued by the fact that actually mm-hmm. the reduction in per capita generation had 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 a slightly larger impact. So I, I think what's really it's really important to emphasise that actually we need both. Yeah. So if if the UK hadn't had both of the both of those contributions. Mm-hmm. Then carbon emissions would be much higher than they are. And I guess and that, that that that's your key concern, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? Carbon emissions. We talked about right, energy, so, energy efficiency, but I guess from, from the title of your website, Carbon Brief, your main concern is around carbon emissions and saving, I, I guess, the the environment. Right. So I mean, the UK has legally binding climate goals, yeah. and you know, the, there's global uh, climate targets agreed. You know, and that almost every country in the world has signed up to under the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. And in order to meet those those goals, both at the, for the UK and at the global level, almost all of the pathways that scientists have, have come up with to meeting those goals, mm-hmm. we need not only to cons- uh, massively increase the amount of energy that we get from renewables, yeah. uh, but we also do need to have a you know, much stronger focus on energy efficiency. And actually, it's what's interesting is is that we need both of those. It's not a one or the other. We don't. It's not a competition between the two. If we don't have one of them, then our task will become much much more difficult. So really, it's that combination of the two that's that's really crucial. Right. So I, I guess put, putting a slightly different hat on, uh, yeah. I, I guess everyone would 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 agree that that energy efficiency is good. 
Uh, but if, if I was um, uh, electricity sort of distribution or a generation company, I'd be thinking, hang on, my, my figures aren't looking so good uh, coming in the next few years. Uh, maybe I need to put the prices up. Um, is, is that a risk or has the government thought, that, uh, thought about that as well? So, I mean, uh, you know, you've you, you probably heard about the fact that the, the government has brought in a cap on uh, energy bills. Yeah. Um, what's quite interesting about the politics of all this is that there has been a really strong focus on bills. Right, yes. And there is a public um, sense that, that energy bills just keep on going up, up and up and up. They do, and I can tell you they do. <laughs> But what's what's quite interesting is that prices have been going up quite a lot. But if you look back 10 years, mm. at, um, the average UK energy bill, so gas and electricity, yeah. is actually lower now than it was 10 years ago. In comparison? Yeah, and one, once you take out the, the effect of inflation. But, and, and I guess one of the things that, that the, the uh, energy company says is, uh, and I think in some ways, uh, I think that, the truth is slightly different, I guess. Um, is is they say it's, it's more expensive for us to buy, you know, uh, gas and and fuels. That's why the prices need to go up. And from what you're saying, fifty three percent of it is nuclear and and wind power. And there isn't anything that that I guess there isn't a, a purchase as such required to uh, to generate those uh, uh, electricities. Would you say? So I see what you're saying. I mean. It's slightly, it gets slightly complicated when you get down to that level, but basically the the, the price that uh, so you pay you pay money to an energy firm to supply you with gas and electricity, and that firm buys uh, electricity or gas on the wholesale market, and the wholesale price of electricity is is set by effectively like the most expensive generator at any given time, right. and most of the time that's a gas plant. Right. So, so the price across the whole mar- the you know the whole market, whether it's a wind generator or a nuclear generator or a coal plant or a gas plant, they all they all earn the same price when they sell electricity, right? You know, at any given time of the day or year, and that price is set by normally by gas. So fluctuations in in gas prices internationally do have an impact. Right. Actually, only, only in a sense that so it's, so it's it's partially true the fact that they have to buy, um, you know. But but for those who's who's uh, like for example power gen uh, for example if they if they're running, um, you know if they're running nuclear plants, uh, the fact uh-huh. that they have to raise the price and they're not having to buy gas or whatever, uh, they're so, having to follow yeah. other other sort of providers. So yeah. there's there is that little bit of a I guess um, a difference in the truth so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the, the question of of what level of profits utility companies and energy companies make is, you know, it's it's highly political, highly politicised, and um, it's really complicated because a lot of the big companies they they sell electricity to consumers, mm. but they also generate electricity, and that they often have quite complicated right. uh, corporate structures where it's quite hard to tell which bit of the company is making profits and which bit of it is, is not. So that makes it all very opaque and, and quite difficult to, you know, to work out what's going on. Right. So we've got a few minutes and, and I just wanted your advice basically for, for our listeners in terms of tips, because uh, I think uh, energy efficiency seems like a good thing for everyone. 
Um, so what, what can the common listener, I guess, uh, do to, to try to reduce or improve efficiency uh, in about 30 seconds? Okay. Yeah, so I would say the first, the first thing I would, would say is that energy-saving light bulbs are almost always worth buying, even if, you know, if you've got, like, old halogen bulbs, for example. Yeah. A lot of those are, like, 50 watt. Even if you have to spend kind of 20 quid buying some new LEDs, it's probably worth doing that, and it will probably pay you back in one or two years. Brilliant. All right. Um, Dr. Simon Evans, I have to sort of call it a day. Uh, and okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much for your contribution today. It's been fascinating. Right. I really enjoyed the article, and I really enjoyed the discussion today. Thank you very much. Okay, thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. We'll be back after a short while with uh, a series on Bangladesh elections. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to Inspire FM. Uh, you're listening to Friday Night Live. My name is Zafri Kabal. Uh, before the break, we were talking about um, energy saving and energy efficiency. And some remarkable statistics have come out showing that the amount of energy that we generate as a nation uh, is now lower uh, or at the same level as it was in 1984. That's amazing. That's an amazing achievement, I guess, for people who are energy-saving conscious, inshallah. So massive, massive saving. Anyway, that was an interesting topic. We were talking to Dr. Dr. Simon Evans uh, from Carbon Brief, a website which is interested in promoting, highlighting envir- environmental issues uh, and carbon footprint-related uh, issues, etc. We're going to move on to a slightly different topic now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about politics uh, and we're going to talk about politics of Bangladesh. Uh, with me in the studio today, uh, some of these names you will definitely have heard of. Uh, I've got Brother Ashok Ahmed. Assalamu alaikum, Ashok. Hey, wa alaikum salam. And assalamu alaikum to all the listeners. Wa alaikum salam. And we've got Brother Maznur Rashid. Uh, he's, uh, he's in a legal profession, shall we say, and is an international mediator. Uh, for commercial, commercial, civil and commercial, civil and commercial, inshallah. Okay, and um, both of these uh, people, uh, learned people, hail from Bangladesh, as you might have uh, might already know, uh, and they're going to guide me through. I say use the term guide me through because um, I don't want to sort of step into a uh, or say anything wrong uh, about the situation in Bangladesh. So we're going to talk about uh, the elections. Um, and uh, the election of uh, Sheikh Hasina Wajid again. Um, her party, the Awami League, uh, has won 288 out of 299 seats. A massive, massive, massive victory. 298 seat. 298 seats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, but two were one. I think one of the candidates died before, so there was no election, and the other one, f- for whatever right. reason, 298 seat. Right, okay. So, so that points to the fact that the government is very popular, or not. That might be the case. <laughs> right, we'll, we shall talk about it, uh, inshallah. So let, let's just first of all uh, talk about, I guess I want to give, give people a bit of a landscape. So Bangladesh, um, as far as I understand, uh, of the Asian countries, while Pakistan was under di- dictatorship, uh, back in, I'm thinking about back in the 90s, um, it had elections and there was a peaceful transfer uh, between the different sort of uh, democratically elected parties. Um, 
But since then, things have started to slide a little bit. Am I right, Ashok, in that direction or not? Yes, definitely, yes. Yeah. Right. Obviously, in Bangladesh, okay, to put into perspective, uh, up until this election, Bangladesh, all election was held under the caretaker government. Right. Okay. The Awamili came into power during the last term. They amended the constitution and they've right. taken out the caretaker government. And they basically said the all election will be held uh, under the under sitting, government. sitting government. Mm. And opposition boycotted last election uh, because of the, that, because they what they said is that there will not be fair and free election, mm -hmm. or there cannot be fair and free election while the government is still in same government is still in power. It has to be a neutral or caretaker government. Right. Um, but 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 the thing is, um, there are many countries, I guess, uh, where this arrangement exists, where there are. There are the, the sitting government arranges elections. If I could, if I could sure. come into just to add yeah. what uh, Ashok Bai just said, <clears throat> um, you may or our listener, uh, listeners may uh, remember that in, during the 1990, from 1990 prior to that, the dictatorship of uh, President Ashad was there for nine years. Right. <clears throat> nine years, the the dictatorship was removed. From then on, as Ashok Bai rightly said. Every single election were held since 1990 were held under a, a, a government we call caretaker government for 90 days. They stay there 90 days and, and they offer the election to the people and then they hand over the uh, power to the elected government or, or the party. Mm -hmm. So what happened was last, uh, I think the uh, last before the last government, I think when national Bangladesh Nationalist Party uh, did exactly the same thing, and Awami League boycotted that. Mm -hmm. And Awami League said that there is no way they could participate into those kind of sham uh, election. And as a result, BNP after six months, I think, or three yeah, months, was, yeah. they 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 gave up. They obviously held. They were forced to hold another election. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, I know it is shameful being a, a, a person from Bangladesh. Uh, you know, obviously, we left quite some time ago. Yeah. We must remember that Bangladesh is one of the most corrupt country in the world. So. Um, among that corruption, we cannot have election under the sitting government because sitting government, all the machineries of the government are partisan. Mm. Every single people in Bangladesh is partisan. So Your you party. cannot have a government sitting and have the election. It automatically, even um, I had, not had, I read on the uh, newspaper, they said 70%, it is uh, on uh, uh, more than multiple newspaper published, 70% of the vote casted night before. Right. Okay. So 8 o'clock election should be uh, starting. Before 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, 70% hmm. vote were already cast. Can I just uh, add yeah. on this note? Uh, yeah, BBC uh, reporters, reported, that's, right, yeah. that's right, has reported um, with evidence that before the polling station was opened, the ballot box was almost full. full. Yes, and, and, and I read an uh, article in The Economist as well, which points to the same that's thing. That's right. But sadly, some of the local reporters who reported on those 
incidents were arrested and put behind bars mm -hmm. because us at all as per the government or Sheikh Hasina's our Mali government they reported fake news and uh, just before the election I think about four or five months ago they passed a draconian law which is I think it's called um, something like uh, spreading false news yeah it's not that there is I think it, it was a a something I think I'm not sure exactly what term they used but I'll probably find out anyway so basically anyone any reporter that's basically just to stop any reporter reporting anything that would highlight or that would um, uh, sort of somehow have put the current army government uh, in a bad light mm -hmm. so what happens is that anyone who writes anything to highlight anything like that, they will be arrested and put behind bars. Yeah, and I, th I think to, just also to point out the fact that uh, in this article I got in front of me, yeah. um, the opposition website, the BNP website, yeah. was, was shut down before the elections mm -hmm. as well. Um, and there was a big ban on, on rallies. I it's guess, not just the opposition. Basically what they did is just before the election, all the 4Gs and 3Gs and 2Gs were uh, shut down so that no one would be able to take any video or pictures mm -hmm. and share online. Right. So that's and, and obviously to yeah. to have a free and fair election, you need to have you know the so yeah. we know that level level playing field we say yeah yeah so uh, and the, also the government were demanding that there is level, the military chief said he never seen out of that forty seven years gone by he he felt the safe country's safest and the freest basically he said so if it was that way that how on earth that no opposition candidate could do their campaign freely. So many, numerous uh, uh, political uh, opposition party candidates were put behind the bar, and their offices were ransacked, and they were beaten in live, in camera. So uh, there is hmm. no, it is obviously no way, Ashubai, yeah. listeners might say, yeah. well, we are partisan. Yeah. But it is very difficult well, to be not to because the situation is so bad. Mm. But I, I, I guess, you know, if I was to look at a, a, a bigger picture, um, well, I guess you can argue whether this party that's in power is, is popular or not. It's won the elections, and I think what we're saying really is the elections weren't fair, uh, and I think the, the results might be slightly different, right, if they had been fair. Mm. But one thing that, that the articles do pick up on, in fact, is that the Bangladesh economy is, is actually doing very well. And, and if that's the case, then I think government must be doing something right. Well, yes, it's true. The Bangladesh economy is currently, I think the G GDP is about six point something percent. Mm. And uh, had it not been for corruption, mm. then it could have been on a double digit yeah, figures. Absolutely. Right. But, I mean, uh, uh, the corruption was at a mega scale as well. Is at the same time, but let me put it into perspective again. It's not the public sector, it's yeah. the private sector Absolutely. that yes. is contributing towards the growth. Mm. Private sector is mainly the private sector. Public sector, there has been a massive corruption. The I think two or three of the national bank, including the Bangladesh Bank, uh, billions of dollar worth of reserves have disappeared. And to this date, no one has been arrested or put behind bars. Um, even the, just to add one more thing of um, corruption, um, I'm, I'm sure listener might have heard that the gold reserve in the, the National Bank's vault mm. been changed into copper. Mm. 
So the gold right okay the so gold this, this, this is this is yes. fact is it, is, it is a fact, fact. it is a fact. fact the real gold disappeared and that gold turned into copper so how that could happen someone obviously replaced those gold uh, gold bars into into coppers and siphoned the money into maybe panamas or wherever who knows so um, thing is if the government was so proud of their uh, achievements economy and everything else the digital so on and so forth they say and if they are so popular what is their problem to give a, 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 voice, a give yeah. the power to a a, a three months uh, let's say a caretaker government and have an election and come well, back mm-hmm. come back with the real mandate mm-hmm. of the people again i'm mean, just going back on the election issue can you imagine 97% of the vote were costed for our milig and well, I mean, that, 3% that sounds, that sounds between like a Bashar al-Assad type of yes. yeah and 3% <laughs> between all the other party while BNP Jamaat Islam two of the major political opposition say at this moment or they were i mean BNP and, and Jamaat were in coalition and ruled for one yes. term and BNP I mean, has previously ruled Bangladesh on two or three terms i mean i should by average i think they they both party put together they would have around 40% support yeah. even our league brothers or sisters the whoever do whoever have consciousness they will say their party might have 20 to 30% and them both party together might have 40% support yeah and again well, this this article the in economist indicates that um you know if the if there were free and fair elections um the opposition would perhaps still would have lost but by a very tiny more a tiny margin yeah. and are saying that the opposition is is also as, as much uh, well as then the parliament would have been <coughs> bribing parliament yeah. parliament would have been a functioning pl- parliament exactly there would have been healthy democracy, democracy in, exactly. in parliament but again i'm just going to give you a quote another sort of figures here in bangladesh there were total number of voters which is if i'm right is 104.2 million mm. voters and out of that but that's in um, in 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 bengali term 10 crore 42 lakh mm-hmm. total voters mm-hmm. out of that uh, the ruling awami league party a received 811 crore 52 lakhs 39686 so which is out of the 104.2 million voters they've received 115.2 million 39,680. And opposition, collectively, every party received... So where, where, where is this stat from? Is it, this is this, these are all stat from um, various newspapers, various... Um, if, you, if you type in or if you read any of the news, like Guardian, this stat is from, I think it was from a Guardian. Yeah, Guardian, reported that. Guardian published Yeah, published that, yeah. And it's 74,026,592 between all other party. Mm. Mm. So w- what does that say? Does it say that there has been fair and free election? Yeah. And uh, there's another thing that, I mean, again, I think um, uh, our listeners, I'm sure, will agree. Those who will, will somehow sort of look at it from a neutral perspective mm. without wearing the political hat mm. yet, uh, before the leading up to the election, all the opposition, uh, there were many opposition party candidates, were arrested There was one which is the main select 
town, which is still at one constituency, where one day I saw on the news that uh, the ruling our milieu candidate was able to hold a street position with hundreds of his supporters, while when the opposition leader, the main opposition leader, wanted to do the same, he was stopped by police. Police went into his constituency office and arrested all his party activists and put them behind, uh, just loaded them in the back of the truck and God knows what has happened. Okay. Well, li li listeners, uh, I want to open the, the, the telephone lines, inshallah. So if there's anybody out there who's got a different point of view, right, somebody who thinks that, that the elections were fair and, and, and a reflection of the popularity of the Army League, our number is 0158 I'd be really happy to sort of uh, hear a different uh, a, a viewpoint, viewpoint, inshallah. Uh, if you don't want to sort of ring in, then you can text us on 07779481822 or WhatsApp us, in, inshallah, on the same number as well. That's 07779481822. Give us a view, your views on this particular topic. It's a very important topic because I think we've got a, a very vibrant and active Bangladeshi community in Luton. And I think they take a keen interest in what happens in Bangladesh. And if things aren't going quite right, then obviously the community here is, is impacted. And I guess, you know, uh, coming from, from a slightly different Asian background, the, the immediate impact is when you get to the uh, airport. And I want to go into the country and, and, and you'll see... Sorry, go on. You, you uh, just to, uh, wanted to add, you know, the, the, the thing Ashubai mentioned earlier, that the, one of the journalists were put behind, mm -hmm. his crime was to report that in one specific area, 23,000 plus boats were casted more. Basically, there was yeah, X amount yeah. of boats. Yeah. So the, the boat, uh, the amount casted, it was X plus 23,000. Yeah. So that was, uh, this is uh, German TV, uh, even the uh, Guardian and Asian, uh, yeah. a, uh, what's it called, Assam Times, the, the, the Indian newspaper. They all cover, Bangladeshi New Nation, the yeah. Daily Star, all these papers. They uh, covered it, and yeah, another uh, important again, again, this, this article. I'm another another gruesome thing. I just uh, I don't know whether it's right to say, but a a mother of four, a lady yeah. he who voted for Nationalist Party BNP, and after the ramification was she was tied up, wow. and in front of her husband and oh, kids. Wow. Oh, no. No. She was raped by AL leaders, Awami League yeah. leaders, and that was national TV. Every single TV in Bangladesh recognized that that person was a, a leader of Awami League, and they, him and his co uh, rapist were arrested by the police. The seven of them were arrested. Seven of them were arrested. So think about the vengeance. The only because she was supporter but, of Nationalist Party and she voted for the other but, party. And and if this Ms. kind of thing, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. I think it's really important to again put into perspective that they were not arrested until public. The all the yes. women came out and held a rally. Not just in the, it happened in a place called Noakali, mm -hmm. not just in Noakali, but against uh, in Dhaka, in other cities and towns, including the main press office mm -hmm. in Dhaka, when women came out and demanding that those justice. perpetrators should be brought to justice, that's when seven were arrested. And uh, they, they were just arrested, no one knows, I mean, they might. And obviously they yeah. will they will yeah. let them go. They and will uh, let them go. So, we know. So I, I guess the key question for for the community here is is that if this is the general feeling about the elections in Bangladesh, 
the people of this country are confer uh, concerned mm. about what's happening in Bangladesh. What, why is, is the, the, the British government, I guess, is not uh, taking up the issue of these unfair elections? I well, think yeah, yeah, so, yeah the the British uh, the foreign minister responsible for the Southeast Asia or the Pacific uh, region has already issued a statement public statement uh, condemning the election results and oh, right. the yes British, the British uh, one of the minister responsible said this was all uh, farcical this is obviously the the, the 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 people of Bangladesh wasn't allowed or were given the the choice to mm. vote who they want. Mm. They were like the candidate were arrested, opposition party candidate were arrested, the party activists, something like 23,000 of the party activists were arrested before the election, put behind bars. The the leader of the main opposition, uh, um, okay, some people might say, okay, she has committed uh, a crime. I'm but equally, when the caretaker government was in power just uh, before the last election, before the Awamili came into mm -hmm. power, in fact, uh, there were more corruption charges mm -hmm. on Hasina than Khaled mm -hmm. So when Sheikh Hasina, both of them were actually caretaker government, actually put both of them um, on, um, uh, in, in prison. In power, yeah. mm -hmm. But when Awamili came into power, one charges after another charges were dropped on Hasina, right. but all the charges the caretaker government put on Khaledazia, they all remained and they were she was tried and some she managed to obviously clear her name, but on a couple of charges that she was put behind and it happened what just six months before the election, so that she being the leader of the opposition party cannot obviously use her influence, yeah. cannot use her it is just loose. Uh, so so I, I guess this, the, the outlook doesn't look good, right? Uh, and I, I guess the question look, really is what, what can be done? Because obviously, you know what this is going to lead to? Mm. If, if, you, if, you, if people are, are kind of like their voices are suppressed in, in, to that extent, if it's mm. true, uh, you know, mm. take what you're saying, if it's mm. true to that extent, Obviously, there's there's risk of uprising. Mm, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the nature of the mm. game. Obviously, yeah. once there is no um, way of uh, you know expressing your mm. opinion, political opinion, obviously there is a, a chance of civil disobedience and 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 civil disturbance. Let's say, and this is not new. But uh, uh, this, it's it might happen. It may not happen. And again, this is where um, uh, the Awamili, um, I would say, it uh, they have. Uh, it was one of the strategies. So again, if I go back, when Sheikh Hasina and Khaled Azia was uh, the caretaker government put them behind uh, bars were prison for corruption charges. Uh, after the election, as soon as Sheikh Hasina, she won the election, she formed the government, she came out of uh, the jail and immediately he he, what she did is uh, uh, there was a under the name of so-called BDR mutiny, mm. which is BDR is the Bangladesh yeah, 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 border yeah, I guard. That. I that. Uh, there Sorry, were yeah. something like fifty-six Seven. of the most uh, highly ranked officers. They were well-trained and highly ranked army officers were killed along with some civilians, I think there was about 16 or 17 civilians. So that's where she started first. Okay, everyone knows that, okay, it wasn't the government, but who did it? There were no intelligent, mm -hmm. and it happened at a 
closed door army event. Yeah, I remember that. That's okay, right, yeah. so that's the first thing where she used her fist uh, in a way to suppress the people or the army. Well, there's only, there's then, only so much you can do but, that. But look, the, yeah. for the suppression... And then, sorry, I'm sorry, gonna just sorry. Gonna, let me just give you... So that going back is a bit, bit of a history. Then she, what she started doing is she started uh, those individuals, including the opposition MPs, former MPs, opposition party activists, okay, those anyone who opposes her policies or her, uh, her actions within the government, they were just disappeared. Wow. Hundreds and hundreds of opposition party okay. activists so, so has disappeared. So, okay. so, sounds like Bangladesh is heading in a, in a, in a, a so, wrong direction. And then what happened is then there was a, I think it was by one of those religious uh, Hafazati Islam mm -hmm. a group that held a peaceful sitting demonstration. Mm. Again, I don't have the evidence, but what I can only say is what I've heard, what I've read on various newspapers uh, in the UK and in Bangladesh, what I heard on TV news is that uh, th those were meant to be, uh, or it was meant to be a peaceful sitting demonstration. Mm -hmm. At overnight, the electricity was turned off. Next morning, there wasn't a single person. Basically, wow. what happened? The lights were all the lights were, were in the area were turned off, and apparently trucks and bulldozers were used to crush them. Wow. And people saying again, this is only what I've heard, uh, that trucks load of dead bodies were just literally taken and disappeared. Wow. So this is, and then sorry, I'm going to come. No, no, I'll no, give no, you a chance. No, and from I mean. there on, um, anyone, anyone who wrote any reported who wrote against anything that the ruling party didn't like yeah. immediately those report reporters were put in prison so what sh she has created a fear now that anyone who is talking about going out and holding a demonstration or going out just expressing their voice and concerns likelihood that they will never be seen by the family again Absolutely. wow so it d doesn't look good for, for Bangladesh uh, I'll, have, I'll give you Mazen, yeah. I'll give you some chance after a short break. I'm sure it was about 30 Thank seconds or so. Uh, or so. Uh, listeners, you're, you're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live with me, Zafar Iqbal. Uh, we're talking about the elections in Bangladesh uh, and and basically the the fairness of them, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about the consequences of, of these elections perhaps after a short break. Uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, right uh, after these messages, so stay tuned, Shah. Assalamualaikum. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum, welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. Uh, this is Friday Night Live. Uh, my name is Zafar Kval. Uh, and we're discussing the elections in Bangladesh. Uh, I've got in the studio with me Brother Ashok Ahmed and Brother Mazan Rahman. Uh, is that right? Mazan Rashid. Rashid Mazan yeah. Rashid. Apologies for that. Thank I got you. your name wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and we were talking about, I guess, um, the, the fairness of the elections. And I think from the conclusion that's been had so far and, and widely reported as well, because I've read a few documents and a few articles on the BBC website and also... Uh, on the Economist, um, seem to indicate that the elections weren't fair and uh, 
and uh, uh, transparent. And also the fact that such a whopping great victory for the for the party seems to indicate that they may not have been everything may not be 100% above board. So I guess we want to spend a few more minutes uh, on this topic and talk about uh, what impact that's going to have and what can be done, I guess, in Bangladesh. If Bangladesh, uh, the, the politics continues like this, then um, it doesn't look good, does it? Yeah. Um, if I could just come yeah. into it, uh, um, I think, you know, the democracy in Bangladesh came with a lot of blood being spent uh, yeah. for that democracy. Obviously, nine years of um, autocratic rule, uh, military rule, uh, cost a lot of lives to turn it around. Yeah. And that vibrant democracy is is almost killed by this our military government. Mm. And you know, uh, this is a culture of having a, a caretaker government. She got rid of that. Mm. She have uh, uh, politicized or 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 appointed all the high level of um, um, security apparatus, basically from their party people, and and everything. The fear, you know, the arrest Ashukbai was mentioning earlier. It is not twenty six thousand people, not as much, mm. but it was only created to create fear in the mind of the voters. Mm. Yeah, and and the people who the activists, so that they cannot go out and do their uh, do their campaign. Mm. So uh, you know the claim that um, Sheikh Hasina was doing that it was all hunky dory, everything was good, election was fair and free. But look, if you look every single, she cannot show a single newspaper that a credible newspaper wall street journal to new york's time to guardian to economist as you rightly mentioned and and uh, french newspaper to german i have checked every single you know the credible newspapers they all casted doubt not only doubt they mentioned it's a say some entrance a sham elections some said it is uh, no credibility uh, some said it is stage elections and government need to come out clean and the world you know the places the west european union to british government to all the government around the world we all care about democracy mm. british government care about democracy then they all need to put pressure they look that democracy need to be turned around now we must get the democracy back so in order to do that i would request our our milik brothers as well look if you have conscious Fight against it. Doesn't matter even if your own government mm. or your own party, because once democracy would be established, it would be good for you as well. Think if a uh, with some Western with some any support, if our military government is who is eradicated from yeah. the power and BNP comes into power and they hold on to this standard, what will happen to you? So we need to have a standard policy or standard rule for mm. all so that it's beneficial for all and, and, and democracy is restored. I mean, one yes. of the issues here that uh, I think you said that uh, what could likely happen in Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah I mean, the problem here is that, uh, like I said, the government has uh, passed many draconian uh, laws that stop people from even talking about it mm. uh, on social media. Uh, I think uh, one of uh, uh, someone that I know from uh, from the same area that I sort of come from in Bangladesh, who went from this country, and um, he just uh, shared a, so, a WhatsApp message that or post that he received, 
he was basically tracked down and he was put behind bars because of sharing that social media. Right. Uh, leading up to the elections, I know, I mean, I've, got, I've uh, read many stories where journalists were beaten up for, or they were forced, beaten up and forced to delete the stories that they have um, highlighted. And, and uh, especially that the new Digital Security Act that they have passed, that no journalist will be able to report any stories that is seen as highlighting the real issues of the corruptions mm -hmm. and the vote riggings, mm -hmm. because everybody, I mean, nobody wants to end up in prison or nobody mm -hmm. wants to end up uh, disappearing because they have a family to feed, they have family to Absolutely, look after, yeah. they have their uh, wife, children, maybe mother, brother, sisters, and nobody would like to do that. So this is where... Uh, I mean, how long can it continue? The question is, thing, yeah, yeah the how long can it continue? But the way the current uh, Sheikh Hasina and her government is ruling the country, eh, they have already created a fear amongst the people. Mm -hmm. They have brought in legislations that will stop people even and sharing on their social media uh, that so-and-so places or so-and-so candidate, for example, has won through uh, rigging votes, they will not be able to do that. So the media will not be able to highlight the actual, the true Nature, stories yeah. of what has happened on that election. Mm, right, and okay. So, uh, so I, I guess what, what's probably at risk is, mm. I think we, talked, we touched on it uh, uh, before the break, is that that the the economy, the Bangladeshi economy, is is doing very well? Uh, you know, there, there's all talk about Bangladesh being, I guess, in the next league of developing nations. You know, the the up and coming nations, and that's all maybe at risk because of the politics side of things is, is going mm. in the opposite direction. I think all, if you look at all the top economists are already predicting that there's going to be instead of like say from six point seven percent current level of growth it will come down it may even come down to three four percent because of what's happening if there are political unrest mm. yeah for example so, it starts then it's going to have a huge impact on the economy yeah. i think i should buy um you know the um the the people you know they they you said they created a sense of fear but that fear to in order to have a change at one point, it will cross the tipping point, and yes. people will start to revolt. And this is where the threat comes for the disruption of the economy and so on. I think the government has a real duty now, and the people of Bangladesh have real duty now to put pressure on government and 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 the opposition and everyone else need to come together and. Make that point that, look, we need to ch have a change, and that change need to come through the democratic process. Yeah. And then the, the, the Aumili government and must also recognize that the, the whatever success stories they have, or the economy, including economy and everything else, they need to bring that into consideration and have a national uh, dialogue or something going so that they can have another free and fair election before we come into uh, civil disobedience and things like that. Uh, just one last word, yeah. and I'm going to have to call, yeah. call uh, uh, a halt. Call a night on that. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I was going to say, it's like obviously in, uh, the foreign investment 
foreign investors for in order for them to go to Bangladesh obviously they will have to think twice yes. because of what has happened now so there will be a, a says, it will be running a slow much slower pace in terms yeah. of uh, attracting foreign investment and again going back to what I said earlier somebody I mean I was in Bangladesh last year and someone was um, a very well learned person was saying that uh, Bangladesh economy the reason why it has progressed to that level is because uh, the private sector is uh, moving at a running pace, and the government sector is still crawling. Well, yes, yeah, yes, and because they cannot, that's right, that. cannot build the infrastructure, they cannot provide the infrastructure uh, like gas and electricity and uh, roads, all this, yeah, they mm -hmm. cannot provide. So for private sector to go and invest, first thing they need, they need a road to go where they are, they need uh, gas, they need electricity, they need all these, but obviously this is, uh, so it will have an impact, but on a, on a positive note, uh, from my last visit in Bangladesh, I would say yes, uh, under the last uh, uh, sort of uh, the five years under the Awami League, Dhaka City has progressed in leaps and bounds in, um, in many ways, uh, but rural areas in fact, there has been hardly any investment in rural areas. So most of the investment has gone into the capital cities or the main cities. So when you go to Dhaka, you'll see, wow, five years ago I was here, there was nothing like this. There were flyovers, there's all these high-rise buildings, you know. Uh, and again, a lot of it, it mostly is through private funded or through foreign aid. Right, okay. So, I, I'm, so I'm going to have to sort of call it next. We do have another guest online, and we want to move on to the next topic. Jazakallah, Brother Ashok and Brother Mazanur. Uh, Brother Mazanur, I'm going to have to sort of say Jazakallah for you. Uh, you're you welcome much. to stay and contribute to the next discussion if you like. Uh, but if Thank not, you. Then, then, you know, um, uh, perhaps another occasion we'll, we'll talk. Uh, we want to move on to the next topic of discussion today, which is about uh, the, I guess, the, the email that was circulated by... Uh, the MCB, the Muslim Council of Britain, uh, regarding the uh, the record number of Muslims who have appeared in the honours list, and I just wanted to explore a little bit more about the honours list and what that means, and, and uh, uh, whether that that's a good thing or a bad thing. Right? It could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, and we're going to talk about that, inshallah. So I have on the line uh, Brother Masoud Ahmed. Uh, he's um, he's from the MCB, and uh, inshallah he's going to. Uh, talk. Uh, well, he's going to well basically let us know or tell us uh, what does this mean for the Muslims being on the honours list. Assalamualaikum, brother Masood. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakallah. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, so, so uh, you are quite happy. Uh, you are quite elated by the fact that there's lots of Muslims on the honours list. Uh, so much so that you issued a, a press release in a circular. Uh, why? Well, if you if you look at the uh, reason people are given these awards, yeah, uh, you will see that these are individuals in our community who are recognised for outstanding contributions. Yeah, they are making a difference to people's lives sure. uh, throughout society, and for that reason, they are being recognised. And it oh. is uh, it is a good thing from our point of view that many Muslims have been picked up and they have been recognized and we're celebrating the fact that they have been uh, making positive contributions. Mm, right, okay. So um, from from your point of view, I, I guess it's, it's, a, it's positive, it's PR, Muslims getting engaged, getting involved in the... But uh, I guess there, there are 
lots of people, I guess, uh, who are highlighted again on, on the BBC website who've, who've turned these down. Uh, they don't see a value in them. What value do you see? I mean, you talked about contributions of the individuals. These contributions don't stop, I guess. They carry on. They are happening, uh, regardless of whether people get these uh, uh, recognition or not. Um, so so why, why would the recognition be important from that perspective, that contributions carry on? Yes, well, sometimes the recognitions uh, play a part in the sense that they motivate people, they inspire other people to do good work. Uh, and uh, anything that encourages people to go on helping other people, to uh, encourage other people to do good, that surely should be celebrated. Sure. Uh, you know, these, these individuals, I don't believe any one of them have been working and making contributions because they want to get an award. Sure. Uh, and anybody in their right mind, you know, if, if they really believe in doing good, they, they just do good because they believe in it, uh, not because somebody's going to come and recognize. But if it happens and uh, if somebody gives them that, appreciation gives them that recognition I, I think it does more for other people than actually those individuals it, sure. it inspires other people and it helps them to spread the good that they are involved in right okay so I'm actually fortunate enough to have uh, an MBE uh, in the studio Ashok Ahmed who was recognized some years ago not, in, not 2012. In, in 2012 inshallah. Uh, so um, first of all I think uh, the first question I have really is that, that a lot of these recognition, uh, these titles or whatever they are, they, they hark back to the imperial days. You've got the MBE, which is the master of the British Empire, and you've got the CBE, which is the commander of the British Empire, uh, and OBE, which is yeah. uh, uh, whatever it stands Officers. for, the officer. Officers. Yeah. Uh, so they hark back to days which are uh, gone and, and not necessarily seen in a positive light from, I guess, from a uh, colonial colonialism perspective. Uh, and, and to be associated with that, uh, surely it's, it's not, not necessarily a positive thing. But sorry. Should, yeah, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I think it, it is an honour that given in recognition right. of someone's outstanding work in whatever his or her respective field. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... Uh, I agree with the brother who's on the telephone line from MCB, yeah, that it is good that so many Muslim brothers and sisters whose work has been recognized. And um, uh, it's not something, this honor is not something that you can buy or you can influence. Sure. Sure. Obviously, the process is quite stringent. And, uh, how, I mean, interesting you say that. So, what is the? How do you? How does one get recognised? Is there some special committee of the Queen which goes no, out and picks people? Or no. Basically, what happens is that a you can nominate someone, or someone uh, a a person can nominate, or could be in the, a member of Parliament can nominate someone within his or her constituency. Right. Once the nomination goes, okay, you. The person who nominates cannot determine or cannot dictate what, yeah. uh, uh, which uh, honor should be given, whether MB or BCB, whatever. So that rec uh, nomination goes to the cabinet office, mm -hmm. and then the cabinet office they scrutinize 
uh, the eligibility basically they look at whether if that person is eligible or not is it true whatever the person has nominated for they look at the person's contributions and look at the person's um, track record criminal record and all those areas and then if they uh, feel that, that the person is eligible then that uh, a recommendation will be be the, the cabinet office will make it to the prime minister's office mm -hmm. and then the prime minister's office finally uh, look at it and they will either reject or they will accept and then basically he asks her royal highness the queen uh, to accept it uh, once the prime minister office recommend it's very unlikely that the queen will refuse it's just more of a kind okay. of a ceremonial uh, so, so thing the, so the, this nomination is done by any individual or is it done by sort of committees or who is the nominations done by? The nomination can be can anyone can nominate anyone. Right. Okay. So you can nominate someone if you feel that uh, someone has done uh, outstanding work or someone has contributed uh, to or whatever community. So if you look at, for example, sportsmen and women, uh, someone has won, say, three. So when I won at the same year or the same time, uh, I think it was Rebecca Adlington, she won five gold medal, Olympic gold medal. Mm -hmm. So she received an MB as well. And right. uh, So uh, anyone can nominate anyone. So, okay, so it's, uh, is it just a, a recognition or does it then mean that you are now more employable or you're more kind of like, uh, you know, you got better sort of business prospects or is it a club of some sort? Nothing like that, no. It's just a recognition. <laughs> and I think, again, going back to the brother on the telephone, say uh, what it does is basically it, it, it gives much more, more motivation. It, it inspires you to do even more <laughs> work. Uh, and... Um, uh, you don't get any extra privilege other than uh, maybe some, uh, some, some. If you're in the airport, say, "Oh, you got an MB. Oh, good. Thank you very much." Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Con congratulations. So it, it's, just yeah. it's just a medal yeah. and a recognition. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just a recognition. That's it. And you're not part of any exclusive club or anything. Sorry, so this, this is different then, right? To to the lordships, isn't it? That's that? totally different. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. Because I think in my mind, there's a bit of a confusion whether, no. whether you get to sit in the lords or not. What do you have? To sit in the Lord again, political parties, if I'm right, they basically nominate who they want. And it goes to the Prime Minister. So, for example, uh, 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 say Lib Dem or Labour will say, okay, they will send the nominations to the Prime Minister's office, say, these people we would like to nominate from our uh, political party. He, and it's the party that decides. That's why, if you look at all the peers, they are linked to political party, the Labour, Lib Dem or Conservative, and they are one or two independent because they have been suspended or they have been, uh, they, 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 their peership has been withdrawn from the political party. So therefore they're serving as an independent. Right. So that, that's a completely um, different process. Yeah. So I could, if I could come into it, yeah. it's an important point. Although you said um, the title, um, you know, the name of the title is attached to the colonialism, mm. that is obviously, I would say, the nostalgia from British, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, History, Britishness yeah. and so on, and but <clears throat> in this country, seventy percent, seventy percent of the people who would say Muslims are uh, some kind of burden for the society. Mm -hmm. So we are here for we are not going anywhere. We are not anymore uh, a community that they are contemplating going back. Mm. No. So what we have to do, we have to contribute 
and contribute in a way so that the perception of the society changes. Sure. So I think in few uh, about three months or so ago, uh, there was a um, study that said 70 plus people uh, percent think British, uh, British Muslim are not contributing enough to the to the community. So um, the thing that uh, Ashok Bai and the rest of the people are doing, Ashok Bai, I said, because he's, he has uh, got recognition for the, the work he has been doing. Mm -hmm. So if we, so many more people can do the similar work, so the overall general British public will see us not as a burden, but as a benefit for the society and sure. we as a Muslim, mm -hmm. we must be benefit for the society. Sure. So uh, I would like to uh, say uh, support that uh, our brother from MCB said it is beneficial. Of course it is beneficial and regardless of the recognition, we do not do this for recognition. We want recognition from Allah obviously as a Muslim. Absolutely. We want to carry on our duty and and convey the, all the bad names that, that were given to us we want to bury them once and for all by doing our good works and show the people that only Muslims are benefit for any society so that your neighbor feel um, uh, uh, comfortable next to you neighbor can give their keys mm -hmm. when they go on holiday you know and they feel good they they are uh, they have right, a neighbor okay. Muslim I, I just neighbor. want to sort of yeah. bring in brother, brother Masood from the MCB again shall I so, so I, I guess brother Masood uh, is the MCB uh, you know, in any way encouraging or tracking uh, these awards or, uh, you know, for the, for the so I, I guess, for the benefit that we talked about in, in the, uh, I guess, for the guests in the studio? Well, I, I guess through our press release, what we're trying to do is highlight, or what we have done is highlighted the fact that many Muslims are making significant contributions uh, in our society. Uh, in terms of statistics, you were just talking, or one of the brothers in the studio was talking earlier yeah. uh, about contributions. Yes, uh, I mean, we, as you know, population-wise, we, we are some 2.8 million yeah. uh, Muslims in Britain. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, any idea about going back uh, or going back home, so uh, as sometimes people refer to, 47% uh, of Muslims were born in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they are growing up here, they are being educated here, they're part and parcel of society, mm. uh, truly. And, uh, you know, when we make positive contributions, whether in education, whether in charity, whether in business, that quite rightly should be recognized mm -hmm. uh, by the uh, you know yardsticks of society we we in terms of statistics again you know um, 20.5 billion pounds worth of contributions muslims make in our economy so you know we we should be recognized and it is right that we celebrate our achievements mm -hmm. in terms of the charity sector as you will know yeah. uh, muslims especially in Ramadan, we raise significant amounts of funds, not only to help people in Britain, but throughout the world. Sure. So British Muslims are making a difference in a positive way. And, you know, some of their contributions, if it's recognized, it is right that we celebrate that. It is right that we recognize that. And it is right that, uh, you know, we use that to encourage other people to do good work yeah. Uh, so I, I, the, the other thing I wanted to, so I guess, uh, uh, a comment on really was, was uh, does this um, 
recognition constrain people right, from expressing their particular views. And I'm referring to the fact that uh, one of the former sort of general secretaries of the MCP, uh, uh, Iqbal Sekhrane, uh, when he expressed his views against uh, a particular section of the community, uh, you know, there was calls to have his, um, have his recognition removed. So d d is that a constraint, the fact that, you know, you begin giving awards, so there, there's an expectation that you conform? Well, I think some of these things are dilemmas, for not just for Muslims, for anybody, that we live in a democracy, yeah. uh, we have rights, we have responsibilities, and we have to balance those. Sure. Um, but at the same time, we live in a society where we cherish uh, the, the idea of freedom of expression. So if people have a different political view or if they hold a view that is different from others, you know, it's quite normal within this society to be able to do that. Right. In your earlier program, you were talking about uh, how some societies may may uh, police or control yeah. uh, what you say. But here, you know, so far... Right, okay, I, I'm going to have to stop you there because I'm just running out of time. My, my program yeah. is about to come to an end. Uh, Jazakallah, Brother Masoud from the MCB. Uh, uh, Brother Ashuk Ahmed, Brother Masoud for... Being with me today, Zakla. Um, Thank really you. Appreciate you for your discussions and uh, uh, and, and your contributions today. Uh, until next week, Zakla. So I want to come to all my listeners. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at InspireFM.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.